Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Cave the Cross Apologetics. I am Patrick. And I'm Tony. And uh, we're in the midst of <laughs> learning about why we're playing tag in uh, Apologetics, a justification <laughs> for of Christian belief by John Frame. And tag, uh, of, as it's lovingly called, is uh, a transcendental argument uh, that uh, that uh, is was developed by Kant, but uh, kind of uh, popularized in the Christian circles, especially in presuppositions by Van Til. And so uh, we kind of, uh, two episodes ago, we gave a, a general overview, uh, framed it and we presented it, of, uh, of, of what tag looks like, the transcendental argument. And uh, pretty much it says, if, if you're arguing for something, you, you need a basis for uh, um, how you can argue for those things. And so we look at the, the basics of science of logic and uh ethics and we say that uh to to argue anything other than theism is to deny it and therefore you have no no standing and then uh even arguing against it you presuppose uh god and so uh we we kind of developed a, a in a nutshell uh version of that and you can find those uh, short clips as well if you're wanting to hone in on uh specific examples of of what tag is and then last uh, week, we kind of uh, started to look at uh, uh, Frame's kind of critique of, of Van Til's um, uh, argumentation for TAG and saying, well, there might be some nuance here. There might be some uh, ideas that uh, weren't quite uh, built, uh, built upon uh, that, that Frame might not have seen or, or uh, that, that Frame kind of wants to tease out. And so uh, that's what uh, we're continuing to do in this uh, later part of this, this chapter. And uh, so we'll continue on uh, from uh, tag and the Trinity. And so what uh, what Frame talks about here is that uh, some have claimed that presuppositional approach is merely theistic as an, uh, kind of a general theism as opposed mm -hmm. to distinctly Christian. And so th th this is probably more of a critique to what uh, what what uh, some people uh, uh, view classical um, argumentation as is. You develop a, a, a theistic general God uh, uh, point of view. You know, you argue with the Kalam, talk about the, the personality. You, you try and build in qualities of the Christian God into it because that's what you're kind of going to slyly uh, argue for. And that's part one. And then part two, you definitely get the Christian message by, by uh, appealing to something like um, uh, the resurrection and the details of the resurrection. And then right, evidentialism so tends to focus on that part. Yeah, so it's kind of like, uh, you know, God is the first cause. Okay, and now we got God, now we move into the Christian message, or we try to, you know, narrow down more on how God is a personal God, something mm -hmm. like that. But yeah, the classical method starts with proving the existence of God first as a first cause or uh, intelligent designer or something like that, the greatest possible being. And then, uh, and then it moves to the Christian message and saying that Christian, Christianity then is the kind of best approach to view that a you know God. So theism in general is just as there's a God that exists, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and and so what uh, Frame here is talking about is mere theism, and some folks say criticism, the criticism of the tag argument is that it just defends mere theism. And so he thinks it goes further than 
Right. Right. And so the critique is, well, you know, just the, the Muslim can do it. The, 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 the Hindu can do it and just says, you know, oh, well, I'm just going to assume the, the, the truth of my, can, my, uh, my, my presuppositions and just argue in the same uh, manner as, uh, as Christians do. And so that, that's uh, kind of the, the, the critique here that he's responding to. But he says, but there is an argument that we laid out in uh, chapter two that God must be one in many if he is to account for the one in the many uh, nature of the world. And uh, there's a, a short clip that I can uh, put in here talking about the, the issue of the one in the many. And so he says that uh, w- while he might not be able to argue for kind of a, a uh, the, the, the reason for precisely why uh, God has to be a trinity, um, that uh, his argument shows that God has to be uh, multi-personal. But I will say that there's a, a really good book by Brant Bosserman, and here's a mouthful for a title because uh, you, you need all the subscripts is The Trinity and the Vindication of Christian Paradox, an Interpretation and Refinement of the Theological Approach of Cornelius Van Til. And so that's the name of the book. And uh, in here, uh, Bosserman uh, actually argues why God has to be three. So uh, the, uh, Frame's book came out uh, way before uh, Bosserman's does, but uh, uh, Bosserman uh, does take on that claim and, and uh, talks about it in there. So I wanted to throw out another book in case you wanted to uh, <laughs> do some book collecting of, of, of why this must be the case. So Frame is yeah. saying, no, actually, t- uh, the, 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 the Christian version of TAG uh, must work in 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 a trinitarian uh, point of view because it does get over that that hump of 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 the issue of the the one and the many nature of the world and and the 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 personality of of God being uh, one and three um, kind of uh, sh- shows that multipersonal uh, nature of Him and then uh, explains the 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 makeup of the universe in in similar fashion. Right. And and, may, and so he says, not maybe it doesn't get us exactly to three, right? The Trinity, right. Right. but it gets us to a multi-personal uh, type of being, right? And so that's, and so he says, that's far further than just a basic mere theism that a God exists. Now he asks the question, you know, can we get more specific? How would a Christian defend his faith against a rival theism such as Islam, right? And so he gives us then, uh, a brief summarized four point version, I guess, of how he would approach, uh, you know, Islam and, and what they have to say. So, it, so we'll just kind of tick off these four points that he makes here. The first one, he says, Muslims and Christians agree that the Bible is divinely inspired. So both Muslims agree with that as well as Christians. But Muslims, he says, argue that the Bible has been mistranslated and distorted and that God is, has um, corrected those distortions in the Quran, right? So, you know, again, we, we, we would question, well, how, why would God allow his word to be distorted like mm-hmm. that in the Bible and not the Quran? Why, why wouldn't both of them be distorted? But, right. you know, anyway. <laughs> so Muslims agree that the Bible is divinely inspired. This is the inspired word of God, but it's been distorted and mistranslated. So that's number one. Number two, he says, but there is no historical basis for this claim that the Bible has been distorted in this way, right? So the first issue here with regard to their distortion claim is, well, why one, the Bible, and not the other, the Quran, right? And number two, there really isn't any historical basis, he says, for the claim that the Bible has been distorted in this way. All of our evidence seems to show that 
pretty much what uh, they wrote is what we have. And as, as far as we can go back, it seems to verify that what we have is what what uh, what there is. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's number two. No I would say something that we can point to is our book that we covered, uh, Truth in the Culture of Doubt, as a, as a good basis for uh, kind of honing in on that point. Good. Yeah. Number three, then, therefore, right? So, therefore, the difference then between the Bible and the Quran must be resolved in favor of the Bible. It was the earlier one. It was the first one. There's no evidence that it's been distorted. Then clearly the Quran came along later and we would suggest change things, right? And then number four, in so far as Islam uh, compromises the biblical doctrine of God, it loses the only possible transcendental ground of science, logic, ethics, and the, you know, the triumphium of the three issues that we deal with with regard to uh, tag the transcendental argument. And so he concludes here, as a side note here, tag does not appeal to bare theism. And that's the point he's trying to make here. It mm-hmm. presupposes the distinctives of the Christian doctrine of God. So he suggests that's how he would, uh, you know, approach uh, Islam. Right. So, so the Trinity uh, aspect of who God is really hones the point well for the, 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 the Christian version that we want to aspire to because of all the, all the issues that, uh, that uh, would come about if we just had a general deistic version or uh, uh, a, an, an issue with something like Allah. Right. Okay. Uh, so next uh, is uh, talking about negative and positive arguments. And so uh, here um, uh, he's going to kind of critique uh, uh, Van Til's uh, position just, just a little bit more. And he says that Van Til does not just stress the use of transcendental or presuppositional arguments. He also insists that if arguments are to be authentically presuppositional, they must be negative rather than positive. And he defines uh, this this negative version as an indirect argument is sometimes called reductio ad absurdum. You take the person's position uh, as as a as a point of of okay, let's assume let's assume you're right. All all things entailed, everything that you said. Let's bring it in now. Let's look at the repercussions or the outcomes or or the the um, the, the the what must follow from from that idea, belief, or answer that you're uh, uh, giving for the position. And he says, we do this all the time. We do this, uh, we, we do indirect proofs or reductios in math is a, is a proof and it assumes the presupposition. We say, okay, for the sake of argument, uh, what what must be the case? And then we do that as a position to, to try and refute that particular claim. He says, one tentatively adopts say a, a, a proposition a and then deduces from its logical contradictions or some propositions that it is uh, obviously false. Uh, you know, you, you say you want this. Here's what it turns out. Do you really want that? Well, no, because that denies, uh, you know, human freedom or or the ability to know things or uh, it, it would uh, uh, let ethically anything in. Uh, and so th- that way it shows that a whatever position a is is false by 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 taking it to the logical conclusion, holding to the fact that here are your presuppositions that you want to hold to, and then this follows. So, Right, right. So the basic idea of a reducto is that you assume the thing that you want to show is false, right? So let's assume that A is the case, right? So we assume that A is the case, 
And then we, uh, based on A, it leads us to usually a contradiction. And so that's the ad absurdum part of the reducto. It's reduced to absurdity, right? So we assume that A is the case. Based on that assumption, when our argument, it leads us to a contradiction. So if our assumption leads us to a contradiction, right, like we assume A, and then it leads us to, well, B and not B, that's the contradiction, that's the absurdum part, then we know that our assumption A is not true, it's false. And so that's the basic structure of a reductio ad absurdum argument, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's what he's suggesting here, that the, the um, tag argument kind of works off of. So he says, in theistic arguments, the indirect argument would run like this, God doesn't exist, right? So that's the assumption, right? And therefore, causality or whatever, science or, or you know, logic or ethics or whatever, is meaningless, right? So we assume A, right? God doesn't exist. It gets us to a contradiction that, for instance, we can't do logic or there's no basis for logic. So now we're making a logic, a logical argument that there is no logical argument. That's our <laughs> contradiction, right? Mm -hmm. Logic doesn't exist and therefore it's meaningless. And therefore we know that our assumption that God doesn't exist, um, you know, is false. He says, since we're unwilling to accept the conclusion of these, this type of argument, then we must negate the premise and say that God, in fact, does exist. Right. Now, it says, certainly arguments of this form are often useful. But, and remember, what he's suggesting here is that Van Til is saying you only should use negative arguments, mm -hmm. right? That's what he's, that's what he's going after here, because he's, he's not buying that particular claim. He says, you know, he has a question about these various negative arguments. Are indirect or these kind of arguments really distinct from direct arguments? So that's his question, right? right. He, he, he columbos us. He's, he's like, oh, this is a long time. <laughs> well, hold on. I just have one question. Right. So, so uh, you know, instead of uh, always taking this negative approach, it, d doesn't it seem like you could just as easily flip and, and make it into a positive type of argument? And is there that big a gap bet between the two that that what Van Til is saying is, is you must or you should always or, or, or uh, you know, pick your flavoring of, of uh, verbiage there uh, to take a, a, a negative reductio uh, approach to other ones? So he says then in final analysis, it doesn't make much difference whether you say causality, therefore God, or without God, no causality, therefore God. So the, you know, the negation of P kind of deal. Um, any indirect argument of this sort can be turned into a direct argument by some creative rephrasing. Uh, and that doesn't seem to be that big of a distinction if, if you just say, you know, uh, this, therefore, uh, uh, B or without this, then, uh, you know, uh, uh, no, no, uh, no A and there, therefore, uh, you would still have B. So it doesn't seem like that big of a, a, a distinction, um, that, uh, that would really cause, uh, us to, to have to take the kind of the Ventilian approach of, of always, uh, uh, taking a negative approach to, Apologetics, he says, then the indirect form has some rhetorical advantage, at least. But if the indirect form is sound, then the direct form will be just as as much too, and vice versa. If we say without God, no causality, the argument is incomplete unless he adds the positive formula formulation. 
but there is causality, therefore God exists, a formulation identical to the direct argument. Therefore, he says, I think Ventil's restriction of, a, of the apologist to the exclusive use of the negative arguments is unreasonable. And uh, what, one book that I would point out to, to kind of show this is um, The Five Views of Apologetics, The Reformed Epistemology Approach, uh, kind of takes this uh, uh, very much to heart and, and you know, says like, uh, uh, you know, uh, God exists and we know it through various forms and, and we're not trying to uh, prove God, but we're, we're, we're trying to clean the slate of, of anything that comes about and says uh, kind of the deal of uh, all, all these, all these other argumentations of falters and, and there's no uh, true big reason why you uh, have to give kind of a positive approach, but you're, you're kind of negating all these approaches. So that's a good book that kind of shows, and actually frame is on the position of the presuppositional approach. And uh, um, I think Kelly is the last name of the, the person for uh, the reformed epistemology. So um, that's a, and, and that's a, a great book uh, that I think we did a one shot on as well. So I'll drop a link in, yeah. in there as well. Yeah. 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 Good. So, you know, then the, the, the next issue is he says, well, why would Van Til try to just stick to these negative arguments when first of all, uh, you know, the negative arguments, can be turned into a positive argument. And so basically, you know, they're the same kind of approach. You can, you know, switch, switch them around to the right. So he says, well, maybe he says, Van Til had a wonderful eye for spiritual problems in apologetic encounters. He saw the need to rebuke intellectual pride to reject the spirit of autonomy and to hold fast to the universal lordship of Christ over all structures of meaning. And so, you know, he says, Van Til then tended to think that these problems were best handled by restricting apologetics to certain formulated methods. So in order to combat pride, we stick with this particular apologetic method. Right? That's what he's suggesting Van Til was, was after. Unfortunately, Frame tells us, the suggested methods, even apart from their other difficulties, do not necessarily eliminate right, the spiritual problem which is pride, right? The sinful mm -hmm. attitude of the would-be intellectual. Sinful attitudes, Frank tells us, can be present no matter what kind of argument uh, we employ. So yes, uh, Van Til was attempting to accomplish this dealing with pride, sinful pride and that sort of thing, and suggested that we that's why we do these negative arguments to kind of show the unbeliever how far off they really are and to deal with their pride. Of course, he uh, frame is suggesting that, well, you know, it, it may or may not work, right? Sinful attitudes can be present no matter what kind of argument we use, right. is, is what he's claiming. Right, right. So positive, negative, uh, you know, it, it seems like uh, uh, you're... Tomato, you're, tomato. You're, 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 yeah, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're applying the, uh, just two sides of the, the same coin there. Yeah. And I think here uh, is a good place to kind of pause. It's it's maybe a little bit shorter episode, but uh, this is a good place to to, to pause and, and and not make the episode go so long, so that uh, uh, you can uh, go back and read over the chapter. There's a, a lot of stuff that we uh, haven't covered, even in these two uh, sh short points. And so we'll uh, we'll come back and talk about uh, um, whether or not it's appropriate to have absolute certainty, and whether it's appropriate to talk about even probability. Uh, the, the, the thing that that uh, presuppositions shake their fist at, and we'll see if uh, <laughs> if if frame shakes is enough. All right.
So we'll see you next time. See you next time.